And welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja. Matthew Marchetti is currently off writing his thesis for the month of November, so he will not be joining us. But that doesn't mean the show is going to stop. The show, in fact, must go on. And so tonight we have a very special guest. Now, the introduction. You may have noticed that it has been kind of, well, a lot of guys talking on this show for the last 60-some-odd episodes, and that has is problematic to me. I've been meaning to change that. And what so happens, a cu- just a couple weeks ago, as I was mulling this over, I receive an email from a fan who is very upset at me for my words about the movie The Apartment. And she makes a lot of good points, so much so that I think I need to reconsider it. But... She, all, she did mention, also, the lack of a female point of view, and so I naturally turned it around and said, hey, why don't you, with your opinionated opinions, come on our show and we can talk about a movie of your choice. Lo and behold, she said yes. And joining us from all the way in South Carolina, I would like to welcome Amy Thomason to Oscar Watch. Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a big honor. Well, thank you for agreeing to appear, and thank you for your email. For your, for your, <laughs> like you, you said you seem very mad at me. You were very mad. Oh, it's a, it's a good movie. You seem to really hate the movie The Apartment, and you mentioned it over several other episodes. I said, yeah. Every okay, now yes. and then, every time you got a little dig. I said, why do they hate this movie so much? Really? It was The Apartment. It wasn't like Oliver or The Sting, which are two just like really bad movies. It was it was The Apartment. The one huh? on Oliver, actually, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I had, I almost got into a car accident because I had tears in my eyes because I've seen the movie <laughs> Oliver. But yeah, that one I agreed with. The Apartment was a little more like you were stabbing me in the heart. Uh, well, hopefully here we can maybe... Sew up that wound a little bit. Yes. Um, Amy, you are a huge film fan. What is, your, what is your connection to the world of film? And do you have a favorite or favorites that you, uh, you, will, you will plug for the folks? I have to say I really started getting into film when I was about 13 years old. I also was a theater buff. We sang some songs from Guys and Dolls, which made me rent the movie. And then um, learn about Marlon Brando. With Marlon Brando. And I watched it a lot. And I thought, who's this Brando guy? So then I started renting On the Waterfront and The Godfather. And a lot of my 13-year-old friends were like, why are you watching these movies? Yeah. <laughs> why are you upset with this guy, obsessed with this guy from the 1950s? But I loved it. And I just kept getting all these books and reading more. And they made me want to read more and learn more and watch more movies. And here I am today. <laughs> and and you are on yeah. your, what I believe is your first podcast. My very first podcast. Woo! So bear with me a little bit. No, you are doing you are doing just fine. Just, 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 believe me, 
it is much easier than it seems. I uh, I don't like. I would say they they're they're paying me too much, but they aren't paying me anything for this, so it's fine. It's fine. Um, the film tonight is Marty. It is the 1955 yes. Best Picture winner, directed by Delbert Mann, starring Ernest Borgnine, Betsy Blair, Joe Mantel, Frank Sutton, and Esther Minciotti, among others. Written yep. by Patty Chayefsky. Ugh. The best. Yes, who uh, wrote, also wrote Network, an episode we did earlier. And this was a movie that you picked. It is. And why, uh, why this one? Of all the films you could have done, why Marty? This was my own personal Sophie's Choice, trying to decide which of the like 800 movies that I wanted to pick. I didn't want to pick a movie that was too obvious, like The Godfather, where it so clearly was going to win. There was not even a question about it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do a movie that I didn't know and didn't really have any personal connection to. So I thought Marty was the perfect choice because I have a lot to say on it. But I do feel that an argument could possibly be made for maybe it wasn't the best picture of the year. Well, that is entirely what this show is about. When was your first time that you saw this movie? I really don't remember the first time I saw it. I remember the first time I heard about it was when I saw the movie Quiz Show. Yes. In the 90s, because yeah, there was the whole, yeah, 95. there was that whole bit about Marty being the best picture, and he was supposed to take a dive, and that was the answer to the question, and I thought, huh, Marty, 1955, <laughs> the year after on the waterfront, and so I kind of looked into it, and I remember during Turner Classic Movies, the 30 Days of Oscar, I think that's when I finally watched mm -hmm. it, and I, it's just a charming, charming movie. It is, or is it, folks? We don't know. We're gonna have to. We'll, we'll have to talk about it. Myself, I have never seen the movie, um, but obviously, you know, with my decades-long obsession with the Oscars, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, that was one I'll get around to. But there are so many more important films that I have to do. So it was. I actually appreciate being forced. That sounds too harsh. Just you selecting this one, be like, Having okay, I can finally yeah. batten down the hatches. It's a cool, crisp ninety minutes the shortest of the Best Picture winners of all 89 of them, which is so nice for me because I have to, I, sometimes I admit I have to see these things in chunks because of my daughter. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it was, it was, it was delightful to get a it's chance to watch it. It's not quite the time commitment of uh, Lawrence of Arabia. No. Oh God. that, that you, Which you, is a brilliant film. But it, it's is. It, it is. It is very <laughs> long. It is very long. And I am looking forward to discussing the Academy Awards that Marty did win after we take a short break. So if you're listening out there, keep listening. We'll be right back. Marty Harold It's very fortunate to live in a country where any man, no matter how humble his origin, can become president. And to be part of an industry where any picture, no matter how low its budget, can win the Oscar. <laughs> All of us who worked on Marty are especially fortunate for this great honor. For to us all, from the very beginning, it was a labor of love. Thank you. 
Marty won Best Picture at the 28th Annual Academy Awards on March 21st, 1956. It also picked up three other Oscars that year. And Amy, what were those? It won Best Actor for Mr. Ernest Borgnine. The only Best, one of his career. The only one of his career. Uh, Best Director for Delbert Mann. Mm-hmm. And Best Adapted Screenplay by Mr. Patty Chayefsky, because it was based on a teleplay, I believe. Yes. Also. That actually, a little connection there. The woman who played the lead in the teleplay was Nancy Marchand, who played Livia on The Sopranos. Oh, wow. And you can go on YouTube and find clips of the teleplay with Rod Steiger playing the role of Marty. Right. And they wanted, they actually wanted Steiger to return for, or some Some people were like, we should bring Steiger back. But they were like, nobody, like, why would they pay to see Rod Steiger when it can just be on television or something absurdly ridiculous. But it all worked out. Ernest Borgnine won the yes. first and only Academy Award of his career. Yes. He was used to playing heavies. Uh, Delbert Mann, this was his film debut directing, picked up Best Director. And this was the first of three Oscars for Paddy Chayefsky. He also won for The Hospital in, I believe, 1971, and most importantly, Network in 1976. Oh. Uh, he is among one of the few writers to pick up three Academy Awards. I believe one of the only other ones is, of course, Woody Allen for God knows what movies because the man gets nominated every single year. True. Yes, but true. there were also a bunch of things. Not a bunch of it picked up eight no, total nominations, four wins, so four other nominations. What else was it nominated for? Best supporting actor for Joe Mantel, who played such a great character, <laughs> such a great character. He was uh, he was the friend, right? Um, he Angie? was Angie. Yeah, <laughs> he was. I love him in this movie. I've, I've um, known characters like Angie. I go, yeah, okay, he, he got I that guy. I have notes on that later. I have notes on that <laughs> okay. later. Excellent. Um, su supporting actress for Betsy Blair, who I didn't know was married to Gene Kelly. Yes, Gene Kelly fought for her to, it was originally, you know, went to another actress, but Gene Kelly no? fought for her to uh, get this uh, get this role. Do we want to, is this one of those things, do we want to say supporting actress, or should she have gone a, um, actress, actress? What do you think? Considering the amount of screen time I she had. think I would have given her actress a nomination or a win. I would have given her a nomination. Mm. I sadly off the top of my head and I should know this who won that year, but it's like totally slipping my mind right now. You know what? I am um, I I actually on the show I don't I don't remember. We can However, we can look it up. As supporting actress, I think she should have won over Joan Van Fleet for East of Eden. What was that? They that gotta, you know, they got to give East of Eden something. Anna, Ma Anna Magnani for the Rose Tattoo. Yes. Best actress. I heard that was amazing. I have not seen it. That's one of the few that was nominated that I haven't seen. Yeah. And uh, I don't know anything else. Okay. That's um, about it. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's and fine. It it also picked up, uh, it was nominated for Best Art Direction, Black and White, and Best Cinematography, Black and White. White. Yes. I do love how they split them back in the day. It is actually, which in a lot of ways does make sense. Certainly for cinematography, you light things very differently for color than you do for black and white film. Right. Um, at least certainly in the 40s and 50s when they knew how to do this stuff really well. They did. But yeah, 
So 50 uh, 50% win ratio, not so bad. Uh, in addition to winning the Academy Award for Best Picture, Marty is the one of two American-made movies to ever win top prize at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it won the Palme d'Or uh, the, that year as well. And before that, the other one was The Lost Weekend in 1945, uh, Best Picture winner, which won not the, not the Palme d'Or, whatever was before the Palme d'Or. And yes. since then, it, uh, no American movie has ever won. Which is really surprising. It's crazy. You wouldn't think it. You would think it would be something more major, like a Lawrence of oh. Arabia or a Godfather, something huge. And Marty, like you said, seems like kind of like a blip on, on the radar. It's not a big standout movie. And I think that is, I mean, we'll certainly talk about it, but I think that is yes. why it has, there are a lot of European sensibilities present in the film that yes. I think maybe uh, propelled it to its place in history. But that is a conversation for later, because right now, Marty did have to win over some other competition. did. Uh, four other movies. I'm going to admit right off the top, I've never seen them. You have. <laughs> what are they? Uh, if I can remember off the top of my head, uh, Mr. Roberts, which mm-hmm. was with uh, Henry Fonda and James Cagney and Jack Lemon, which was also based on a play. Love is a Many Splendor Thing, which is romantic schlock as far as I'm concerned with William Holden and Jennifer yeah. Jones. A too old William Holden, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Um, Love is a Many Splendor Thing. I already said that. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have to edit this part. And then, uh, I can't remember the other one. Picnic, also with Kim Novak and William Holden. And I don't remember the last one. Rose Tattoo. The Rose Tattoo, which was based on a Tennessee Williams play. Ah, there you go. Um, you've seen, what, three three or four of those? Three or four? I've seen Love is a Many Splendored Thing and Picnic. And Picnic. Would, uh, are, they, are, are they tough competition? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have seen uh, Mr. Roberts or The Rose Tattoo, you can write us in and let us know. The email is, of course, OscarWatchPodcast at gmail.com. We do not, I find I do not have the time to watch all of them. If I could, I would, but I am both strapped for time and also kind of lazy, so... Save your time. You don't need to see Love is a Many Splendor thing. Unless yes. you're a huge William Holden fan, which is which, really the only reason I watched it. Right. Because you are. Because I am. That's how I named my son after him. So <laughs> <laughs> I look I look forward to the day when, you know, he has to explain that and like like William who he was an actor in the fifties, there's all these movies. And they're like, What are you talking about? There were movies before I was born. Well, the weird thing is is because my husband and I watched Delog seventeen on our first date. Whose whose choice was that? Mine. Okay, uh, obviously. We watched that, and we watched we watched Annie Hall, and then I liked the name when we later got married, and I became pregnant. We found out we were having a son. I said I liked the name William. I liked the name Holden. William Holden's a great actor. He was in Stalag Seventeen, and the hospital where he was born is on Sunset Boulevard. Oh my God! Really. I didn't realize that until after we were driving home from the hospital. And we didn't decide on the name until he literally was, I was in active labor. We he finally, my husband finally relented and said, <laughs> we can go with William Holden. Okay, nice. Uh, to, to mirror that, 
we actually decided on my daughter's name two hours before she came out. Yep. Like what, like what name? You're like I like I like Talia. Okay, Talia it is. Like thank God we don't have to debate about that. My, my mother-in-law was very cross. Why wasn't I concerned? Yes. <laughs> we decided on Elena. We got to the hospital an hour and ten minutes before she was born, and they said because it was a month early, and they oh. said, "Uh, yeah, you're having the baby," and we're like, "So we're going with Elena, right?" Okay. <laughs> And then an hour later, there she was. Done and done. But moving on from personal hilarious child anecdotes that I know everybody wants to hear about. So fascinating. So, and I just love it. I just love it so much. Everyone's birth story is just the best. 1955 was a pretty decent year for movies. What were some of the other films that were not nominated that may have stood some degree of the test of time? Blackboard Jungle with... Glenn Ford and a very young Sidney Poitier. Yeah. It opened with uh, Rock Around the Clock, which started riots in the movie theaters. <laughs> it was one of the first films that had like a rock and roll soundtrack. So that was, it's lesser known, but it was pretty major when it came out. East of Eden, of course, and mm -hmm. Rebel Without a Cause with yeah. Mr. James Dean. Yeah, two out of three of the James Dean movies. Yes. How would you rate uh, them? Disney's Lady and the Tramp, mm -hmm. The Night of the Hunter with yeah. Robert Mitchum, which to me is the most terrifying movie I've ever seen. That movie disturbed me on such a deep level, I can't ever watch it again. I love it when, uh, old, I love when old films like that can do that, because we, 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 we think that only mo like our modern sensibilities can be disturbed by a more oh. modern techniques and um story and storytelling but no no night of the hunter can mess you up when my husband wants to torture me he'll start singing that baptist hymn <laughs> that robert mitchum sings in the movie and it like chills me to the core to my core it oh love and marriage you got there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes um the seven-year itch yep one of the most iconic images in America, really, and to catch a thief. Yeah, to catch a thief. Yeah. Not not a great Hitchcock film, but it's cute. Hitchcock, uh, he works on. Hitchcock is a quantity producer. He's not always quality. Yes, but he's so he's quality enough that he can make at least movie like really good movies a lot yeah. of the time. And occasionally he'll make like a fantastic. Occasionally then he'll make a psycho, oh. and you're like, all right. Yes, yes, yes definitely. Yeah. I got um, I mean, I'm not. It's not a terrible movie, but to me, it's Hitchcock light. Yeah, yeah, I give that. There's a remake, it's wasn't there? Kelly, they're in Monaco. She looks pretty. She wears nice dresses and Cary Grant. Well, more you know, Hey, it's in 1955. That's like you know, pretty women on screen and you know, dapper dapper men. Like that's all. That's all you needed. It yes, was the, it was. We were still in the studio system. Was, yes. All, all of us. Rear got, Window is a much better showcase for Grace Kelly as far. I think that was her best movie. My favorite. That's like a really good Hitchcock movie. No, that, that's sorry. That's a great Hitchcock movie. That's a great Hitchcock. I love Rear Window so much. So much. 19, 1955 also uh, featured, uh, you know, for the Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans out there, This Island Earth, which was the movie that the MST3K movie was about, which is always great. Uh, to Helen Back. About Audie Murphy, starring Audie Murphy, one of the most decorated soldiers in World War II, and the uh, great and schlocky Quartermass Experiment. 
<laughs> experiment with an, just an X, not an EX, just an X. Uh, great little sci-fi uh, horror alien invasion thing going on. Pretty, pretty fun. Kind of like the thing, but not. But you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. It's good. To, good times. Good times. And uh, well, I think that's 1955. We got some really great ones there, like the uh, you know, Ilya Kazan doing East of Eden. Rebels out of cause. Lady and the Tramp is just great. Like that would have won Best Animated had it been a category back then. And Definitely. yeah, and we will discuss how these will stack up to Marty after we take a short break. We're in, we will come back and discuss Marty because hey, that's the name of the episode. What do yep. You know? All right, <laughs> and we'll be right back. What are you gonna do tonight, Marty? I don't know, Ma. I'm all knocked out. I may just hang around the house. Why don't you go to the Stardust Ballroom? What? I, I say, why don't you go to the Stardust Ballroom? It's loaded with tomatoes. It's loaded with what? Tomatoes. <laughs> Who told you about the Stardust Ballroom, huh? Tommy. He says it's a very nice place. Oh, Thomas. My, it's just a big dance hall, that's all it is. I've been there a hundred times. <laughs> loaded with tomatoes. Why, you're funny, Ma. Marty. I don't want you to hang around the house tonight. I want you to go take a shave and go dance. Oh, Ma, when are you going to give up? you got a bachelor on your hands. I ain't never going to get married. Uh, you're going to get married. Ma, sooner or later, there comes a point in a man's life when he's got to face some facts. And one fact i got to face is that whatever it is that women like, I ain't got it. I chased after enough girls in my life. I, I went to enough dances. I got hurt enough. I don't want to get hurt no more. I just called up a girl this afternoon. I got a real brush off, boy. I figured I was past the point of being hurt, but that hurt. Some stupid woman who I didn't even want to call up. She gave me the brush. No, Ma, I don't want to go to Stardust Ballroom because all that ever happened to me there was girls made me feel like I was a, a bug. I got feelings, you know. I had enough pain. No thanks, Ma. Marty. No. I'm going to stay home tonight and watch the hit parade. Are you going to die without a son? So I'll die without a son. Oh, Marty, put on the blue suit, huh? Blue suit, gray suit. I'm just a fat little man, a fat, ugly man. You're not ugly. I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly. Marty. Ma, leave me alone. Ma, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I'm miserable enough as it is. All right, so I'll go to the Stardust Ball, Ma. Put on a blue suit and I'll go. And you know what I'm going to get for my trouble? Heartache. A big night of heartache. Rich. Amy, for people who probably have not seen Marty, do you have an IMDb synopsis of what the film is about, or your own personal synopsis at the very least? I have my own personal synopsis. Okay. Do tell. Make it quick. It is about a lonely butcher in Brooklyn who is convinced one night by his mother to go out and find himself a girl, and it's just 24 hours of his life after he meets this lonely woman. Okay. I uh, will have to correct you uh, because I am from Brooklyn and I take offense yes. when you say that someone from from the Bronx is from Brooklyn because they're very different. Yes. <laughs> yes, they are all from New York City. Yes, they are. But it is a very, is very, very different. They go to a lot of um, Bronx standouts. They're on the Grand Concourse. A lot of yep. old, a lot of old, old timey places, but it is not, I repeat, not, it does not take in place entirely 
in Brooklyn. It takes place. It takes place in the Bronx. They go to Brooklyn. Yes. I don't know how. Ridiculous commute for poor Clara to get up to the Starlin Ballroom, Ballroom in the Bronx. But hey, whatever. That's it's a what movie. I when he when he took her home, I thought, wow, that seems probably quite a commute. That's what's hell. And on the bus, there's a bus. That's just. It's ridiculous. Okay. So we have this. This is a movie that takes place in 1955. So a lot of the times, and this came up in the, in, with the discussion of The Apartment. That's why I'm asking it first. How do you view this movie? Do you view it from the point of view of someone from in 1955? Or do you view it from the point of view with someone with 62 years of experience with all the turmoil and up, upheaval that the world has seen in terms of social and gender rights, etc. in 2017. I think that this movie is a little more ageless and universal than The Apartment. Okay. And The Apartment, which I love, and I will, I will die on that sword <laughs> saying that it is a perfect movie, there's a big difference between the social mores that were shown in 1960. For example, you wonder why these rich executives didn't just take their women to a hotel. Right. Stuff like that. With pretty big plot hole. But I think with Marty, it's not so much about the times. I think it's a very, really, it's about what it means to be human. And you feel his loneliness. One of the things that I... I had noted was that you know this man's entire life story in the first five minutes of the movie. That he's, it opens, he's a butcher, he's cutting meat, people are complimenting him on his brother's wedding, and he's saying, oh, he got married, and it was, it was a very nice affair, he kept saying that, <laughs> and, and then everyone would say, well, why aren't you getting married, and you see him kind of like roll his eyes, and you instantly know he hears this a lot. Yeah. And then the next woman, and then the next woman. And then it instantly cuts to, he's at a diner with the great Joe Montel with the, what do you want to do tonight, Ange? Uh, gee, I don't know. What do you want to do tonight? And even though they're at a diner reading the newspaper, that could be two guys at the Waffle House in South Carolina with their text, phone, text messaging, with their cell phones out, excuse me, <laughs> saying, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you feel like doing tonight? It's right. It's so universal in a way that the great and brilliant movie, The Apartment, is less so. Okay. Okay. I will definitely say that, yes. Uh, well, first of all, now I want to go to Waffle House because we don't have them up here. <laughs> Wahoos are amazing. Uh, second of all, yes, there is a universality to the interactions and the, certainly the like all the relationships, I think, you know, you can take away the technology, you know, our modern technology, and this is we yes. still we still act like this. And I that is where the brilliance of Paddy Chayefsky comes in is that he is able to create uh, craft worlds and characters that you can you can understand, but are also they're speaking, they're like crying out against whatever their whatever bounds they're in. Is he's he's very nimble at creating. Uh, being outraged at the way things are, but not necessarily going all in for it. He can go all in, 
And when he does, it's amazing, and you get network. But even here, yeah, you can exactly you, what I was about to say. Yeah, but even here, you get the the sense that he is just so angry at uh, just the way people the way people are and the way we the way everyone holds each other back and down from whether it's family, whether it's friends. That he just wants to just just wants to he wants to burst out. He wants to run down the street and hit a hit a stop sign. Or, or a bus sign, or a bus sign in one of the in a, in, a, in a brilliant scene of the of the movie, and that's where I think it like yes there is it does feel kind of problematic because again I don't like he's the the, the women characters you write they're very uh, lacking in agency. Clara does get her get her get her time to shine and shine in the end, but it's definitely Marty's movie. And there's some weird stuff where he tries to like kiss her, and it's like it feels kind of awkward. That it's scene like, is so painful. Oh, you're like, oh no! It's it, 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 like we saw this at the worst possible time when everyone, all all of all of one's heroes, are being accused of you know assault or you know yes. sexual or harassment. Yes. You don't. That's like no, no, not Ernest Borgnine too. And but it's a movie, and like ah. And not Marty because he's such a good guy. Right, but you know, uh, Dustin Hoffman is such a good it's guy tough. too. That ripped my heart out. Oh, it's 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 brutal. So it's at the at the same time, I go, all right, it's nineteen fifty five. You know, we haven't hit. I don't think we've hit this. We haven't hit second wave feminism at this point. No. So, like this is this is how it's going to be, and I like from the from that context, from that point of view, I under like I understand like this is how they you know men and women interact, and it's fucked up. It is, True. but I get that. But when you watching it from now, there are there are moments where I just sort of cringe about it. And so, literally watching it like last week when all of this is in the news. But I think two points. One thing about we were talking about Chayefsky is that just he's such a great writer. And one yeah. of the things when you had talked about Network is you had um, Aaron Sorkin kept coming up in the conversation. Yes, and I am literally Aaron Sorkin's like target audience like he writes for me he writes for my parents like they of course loved the west wing they loved newsroom one of my complaints with aaron sorkin though is that he writes for a very specific kind of person he writes for a very highly educated verbally competent cerebral overly educated what Trump followers would call a liberal elite, right? Yeah, which uh, is, no. folks, right now, right now, you, you can't see it, but I'm just pointing to myself, being like, "Yep, he's writing, he's and, writing, he's writing for me, he's writing for me." Continue exactly. And so all of his characters have these brilliant. Everything out of their mouth is the most brilliant thing you've ever heard, and they use all of their work, all of their great vocabulary, and. That works really well for him and shows like the newsroom, things like that. Mm-hmm. Chayefsky can match him brilliant monologue for brilliant monologue. Absolutely. But one thing I've never seen Aaron Sorkin do is write for, and I really don't mean this in a condescending way, but regular people. I don't think Aaron Sorkin could have written Marty. No. Absolutely, I think I, he could not. He could not. You're right. He couldn't, and I think what works about Marty is it's not. 
Marty giving this whole exposition on how he's lonely and his backstory and about loneliness and about mankind and about seeking human connections and all of that stuff. You see it happen. Like I said, you know, in the first 10 minutes of him chatting it up with the woman at the butcher shop that he's a lonely guy. He doesn't have to say that. And on his phone call to Mary Feeney, which is so heretic to watch, it's one of the best pieces of acting in the movie. And again, there's no dramatic music and there's no huge dialogue or voiceovers or anything. You just see him and you just see him close his eyes and you feel his heart being ripped out of his chest by this girl he's not even that interested in. Right. Just, uh, he just wants, he just, he's looking for a connection and like, even that's getting denied him. And that's why when I saw the scene where he tries to kiss Clara, I didn't so much think of it as like a sexual assault. It was more like he, he was misreading her social cues and he tried to kiss her and she pulled away. And then I think he didn't get mad at her. It's not like he raged at her. It was just like, oh, can I? I think he was more angry at himself. Like, can I do anything right? Can I? What's wrong with me that I can't make a connection? I thought I was making a connection, but I didn't. And so you kind of see that because he's such a, he takes a lot of a beating for most of the movie leading up to that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah he he takes the beating from his mom and he takes, and he has his cousin and his cousin's a real jerk everyone is they aren't they aren't the best people they aren't the worst people They're, everyone feels like like people in this. but everybody and, and everyone has a cousin like that yeah everyone does have a, and everyone, everyone has an aunt like that who's like yeah she's bitter and angry and annoying but I'm sure she can come live with us because she's our aunt and i feel like it's also a very funny movie Mm-hmm. in an unbelief in a very human way like i love when the aunt comes over and she's telling the mother about everyone in the family who's dead and how everyone <laughs> she knew this one went to the hospital and now he's dead yeah. and then this one down the street oh do you remember him oh he died last week and the mother makes the comment like oh katarina i love when you come over because you always have such a cheerful disposition or something like that <laughs> and yeah. she doesn't even say it in a comedic way but that line really hit me and i had yeah. to pause because i started laughing yeah it's a, it's a dryly uh, spoken film. Like there there are a lot of comedic bits that just they don't even register to the folks as being funny. Nobody's stopping yes. for the like. All right, now you gotta laugh. It's dude, we just keep going. Like when he when his uh, sister and brother in law are arguing on the porch, he's just oh. he's just complete he's completely like not into the situation. He's like, yeah, but wait, you guys can fight any time. But seriously, about me, what's going on? I need to ask you about this deal. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And, and oh, go ahead. The line about the um, when the Tommy was trying to get the mother to um, get Marty to go to the Stardust Ballroom, and he goes, you know, tell him it's loaded with tomatoes, which is such a 1955 <laughs> <laughs> expression, and the way that the mother with the accent says it's it's loaded with. T- tomatoes <laughs> and Ernest Borgnine looks at her like, "Did you really just say that?" Right. That line it just kills me, and it yeah. always makes me laugh. Yeah. I don't even know what I don't even know what what people are referring to uh, to, <laughs> to uh, dames and broads these days as. Yes, um, I like. I, and, and I, I do have to admit, I felt like I learned something. I'm like, all right, fifties, 
that's a weird one. I could see why that didn't catch on. It's it, really loaded. No, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I what 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 is interesting about about the friends and the family is that uh, they're what they what Chayefsky captures about people, and I think just people in the movie and people in in real life, mm-hmm. is that everyone is in their own movie currently. So everyone wants to wants the supporting characters to do that to support them. They want to know how they fit into their narrative. I think you could take you could easily make a movie that is uh, Angie's night and what he's yes. what he's going through and so, sort of sort of like a side piece to be like mm-hmm. and here and here's the adventures Angie got into and like the stuff oh, he's dealing gosh. with. And, I would love that. It would it would it would, it would, it would be great. That. And and but this just happens to be about Marty. But you still see. Yeah. The other people going in and out of their own film, like the like the the sister and brother in law, like the mom and the aunt, and they're all just they all want Marty to be this one thing for them, not realizing that Marty is literally the star and titular character of his own movie that we are currently watching. It's fa- it's fascinating, and that's what I think. That's why the characters uh, really uh, survive, and they can resonate even now, uh, sixty five years later, or. 60, however, however many years yeah 65 years and even you can see i mean there are so many times in the movie that it made me think of a modern movie when marty was on the phone with mary feeney it made me think of john favreau in swingers after oh, wow. he meets the girl at the nightclub and he goes home and he just keeps calling the girl over and over and leaving more and more embarrassing yeah. messages and you're sitting there and you're like oh god shut up hang up the phone it's it's, it's, a, it's a classic trope in, in cinema one, one one that i enjoy one that i enjoy so all right well let's just moving on um ernest borgnine known for playing heavies uh throughout the 40s and 50s and basically his entire career he steps out oh. wins an oscar for this and never uh, never quite uh goes back to this uh how just sad. How, yeah, it's very sad. How is he in this movie? How is he as Marty? To you. One of the things that, when I first saw it, it seems like, why did he win an Academy Award for this? Like, he plays such an ordinary guy. There's mm-hmm. nothing, it's not a Daniel Day-Lewis playing Lincoln kind of a role. Right. Very straightforward. But, one of the things that made me realize how brilliant it was is if you go on YouTube and you watch Rod Steiger do it and they have clips of Rod Steiger doing it and you realize, oh my gosh, Ernest Borgnine played the same role so different. Mm-hmm. And Rod Steiger played him very melancholy. Oh, okay. Very, he seems like a big depressed kind of a guy kind of a sad guy but what i liked about ernest borgnine is he really held his sadness down and really was still very cheerful even though we saw those moments of his heartbreak and i think that's what makes the movie so effective is that he holds it together and he seems just really easygoing and he's a little bit of a doormat with hey do you mind if my mother comes and lives with you she's driving us all crazy yeah "Yeah, sure why not Hey, Ma, what's going on? And, you know, hey, Angie, I don't, I don't know. What do you want to do tonight? And he's, you know, and he's kind of upbeat. And you can maybe tell a little bit of sadness. But those moments of pain where he really kind of lashes out at his mother, that's when it really hits. And you realize he's not this happy-go-lucky guy. He is really tormented. And he's really good at hiding it from everybody to play the dutiful son, to play the responsible cousin to Tommy, and to be the friend who's fun to hang out with. Yeah, 
what what I like about him and uh, bears resemblance to uh, certainly one of uh, Chayefsky's most famous characters, and that's you know Peter Finch in in Network, mm-hmm. is that I think um, Marty is also mad as hell, and yes, it takes him the entire movie, but he's not going to take it anymore, and it's not yeah. it's it's a it's a movie about a relationship. Yes, it's about him and Clara and the how they bounce off each other and they try and they try and figure out. But mostly because of his name, it's not Marty and Clara. It's it's Marty. Yeah. So like right, it's, it's about him. It's a movie about him standing up to all of the people who want him to be something else. To his mother, who is mm-hmm. mad at him for like, oh, she's not an Italian girl. I don't I don't like her. It, it just and to his friends who are like, yeah, she's a dog. Side note: In what world? In what conceivable world is Betsy Blair considered a dog? I have to come, I, I have to come back to that in a yes, minute, though. Yes, but... We'll it, have to go back to her in a second. Oh, yeah, we, we will. It, but what what's great, and, you know, and that's why and that's why, the, that's why it ends where it does, because it's not about whether they get together, and we'll, we'll talk about if they, mm-hmm. if they do in the end. It's about him saying, fuck you guys. I am yep. done listening to your shit. You don't do anything. We just sit around all day and ask about what are we going to do tonight, and then by then the night's over. Mom, screw you. I, yep. I, I am a 34-year-old man. I'm the same age as Marty. I am going to date this woman. I don't give a shit if she's not Italian because I like her, and she does things for me, and that yep. speech at the end is great, and that's why, and that's why, that's why he wins. And uh, Borgnine, you know, he's, you know, he's not as over-the-top as, as Peter Finch was in Network, but he is mad as hell and you you if you haven't been there if you haven't been the end like just like yes. this angry doormat of a white guy that, mm-hmm. that i was that I, I i think i was you it's like maybe like like he he's, he sells it but like i immediately connected with him in that in that moment being like ah that like that felt good for me to just yep. say everybody i no i'm gonna i'm gonna do this this is, this is my life i'm taking control i'm calling this girl i don't care what happens and what's great about that buildup is, first of all, his mother's jerking him around. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, she's all, I'm going to die without a grandbaby Oof. and all that stuff. We've all and heard making that him feel like he's the biggest loser on the planet. Right. And then especially since that painful phone call is right after his mother tells him she's going to die without a grandbaby. And then to the next day, oh, but my favorite, my other favorite line to get back to the mother real quick, and I just have to say because I'll forget it, is when she says, "Oh, she went to college. You know about those college, college girls? girls? They're just one <laughs> step up from the street." <laughs> I had to get that in there because I think that was one of my other favorite lines in the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> but the build up at the end, and um, you had mentioned this with Braveheart, how the music in Braveheart does all the heavy lifting. It's like, oh, we're supposed to feel sad. We're supposed to feel scared. We're supposed to feel excited. The use of music in this movie is so subtle. And mm-hmm. that makes me love it. That yeah. just that close up of he has his hand up over his head and he's holding on to something and he just has his eyes closed. And you just, and there's no dramatic music. There's nothing. You just hear that inane banter of his friends. <laughs> And let's go down to 76th Street. I don't know. We did that last week. And there's just that chat, which I really feel I can see guys right now having that same exact conversation as you and I are talking about this movie. And he just snaps and he doesn't flip out. And he's just like, 
exactly screw you losers i don't care about you i don't care about my mother i'm gonna call her and if i like her then i'm gonna ask her out again and i'm gonna marry her and i love that that's how the movie ends there's no big embrace between the two of them there's no i love you there's none of that because that's not really the point of the movie no it's not that's not and that's why that movie is brilliant and that's why, and this has been Oscar Watch. Thank you. Now, um, well, we have to, we're going to circle back around to Betsy Blair as uh, Clara. Very demure, very kind, very yes. mousy. She's so mousy to the point where I'm like, I can't hear you because I had my headphones in because the baby was yes. asleep. I'm like, what's, what's, what is going on? Um, but I think that's like, is that almost what we wanted back then? That just seems no fun at all. But, um, She's a good-hearted person, and you you feel for her again. Why yes. people are calling her ugly? And I I I, I don't understand like she the was 1950s. Like hideously disfigured. I'm like really, and like, oh the way the way her blind date treats uh, her oh. at the be oh oh that broke my heart. I'm like yeah, that's the word. It's terrible, just just men in general. But how is how is Betsy Blair's performance? Is it worthy of an Academy Award nomination? In Marty, I believe that it is, and this is why. Wow. First of all, I think they made they cast her very well. Yes, I think they cast a woman who's pretty, but it's not Grace Kelly in The Country Girl, where they're going to take one of the most beautiful women on the planet, wash off her makeup stick a pair of glasses on her and say oh now she's a house <laughs> she's a <laughs> housewife and you're like it's grace kelly like who are you trying to get hollywood magic exactly but they didn't cast somebody so ugly and she just she's very like girl next door she seems like she like a person who could actually conceivably be a science teacher in that time and the way that they dressed her too they had that very high cut with the little bow on the neck and the little cardigan compared to all the other girls who were wearing very different outfits but she's pretty but in a very plain way and i respected them for doing that and not pulling the grace kelly country girl move yeah, that they sure. always do it you know you gotta you gotta put you gotta put butts in seats and what better it's always great when you see that "Quote unquote, plain-looking woman turn into someone, turn into the beautiful swan." You're like, yes, terrible, terrible kind of. Plot and they also there. didn't have to like put prosthesis on her like they did with like Charlize Theron and Monster to really make her unrecognizable. Right. It was she was very sweet, and for back then, someone like that would have been plain, especially in a film when you're in an area where you have Ava Gardner, Grace Kelly, Audrey Hepburn, Marilyn <laughs> yeah. Monroe. She's not any of those. No, she's not. I mean, that's the same year the Seven Year Itch came out with, you know, the white halter dress over the subway. Yeah, one of the most iconic images in, in film, as you say. But she's so, she's so sweet, and she also doesn't over dramatize it. Like she's humiliated, and as from a female perspective, I've been there where you know you're out and you're with your charming, amazing, wonderful friend, and you're just kind of sitting there like, yeah, this is great. I like to read and I like classic movies. That's not gonna, you know, bring the men in. Sold. And, Sorry, I'm already married. 
Yep. And when she and when she goes and she just and she goes outside and she's just kind of softly crying. There's again, there's no big dramatic music. There's no huge monologue on how lonely she is or some horrible trauma that's happened to her. She's a teacher and she goes to work and we all know people like her. And that's how I felt about Marty's friends, too. We have to get back to them because they are just a hoot. They're a hoot. They are there's something there's something all right that's for that's for sure um i like clara at times i think i like clara more than uh more than i like marty just she has this sweetness to her that Mm. is very hard to find that feels that they aren't playing they aren't playing up to like like just like all right now we're just gonna like throw her through the ringer and she's going to come out the other side stronger. Like she, like she comes out stronger. She's like, says like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to take that job, but it's in a very natural way. You know, you know, know, it doesn't come after like, like a dramatic, like it's raining and there's like, we have to talk about this. It's, you know, it's not a, it's not a Sorkin, Sorkin moment. It's It's a, it's it's a, it's a, it's a Chayefsky moment. It's an early Chayefsky moment where she just goes, you know, what? I had this, I had this amazing time with this this man, and I thought about my life, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do this, and it doesn't like you don't understand it, but that's okay. I'm just, I'm just doing this. But also hilarious that uh, her parents were sleeping in separate beds. I just, I just love that about exactly code, scene, <laughs> Hollywood code movies. The scene that really kills me though is, and again, the subtlety, which is why. I love a Chayefsky over Sorkin. And this is with all due respect to Sorkin. I love A Few Good Men. It's one of my favorite movies. He's a great writer. But the scene where she's sitting at home at night and she's sitting with her parents and watching TV and she's trying to pretend like everything's normal and she's fine. And she just kind of has her arms crossed and you can just kind of see very little bit, a little bit of the tears in her eyes that she's really just trying to hold it together. And you see Marty do that, but Marty gets the explosion. Right. She doesn't. So she has to act like, Oh, this is great. Let's watch bandstand or whatever they were watching. And it's so heart wrenching. It is. It is. And it's so heart wrenching. And it's it's also one of those. This is one of those moments where I think the younger generation doesn't get it quite. Like the kids these days, they'll they can sit, sit yes. by their phones and they can like just wait. They can wait for the text message that mm-hmm. the, that little that little writing. But to have to say sorry, Dad, I can't make it to our our movie today because I have to stay home for it and wait for a phone call yep. that is coming in because. Phones are attached to a specific place and not a person. It's like I would I would be fascinated to hear what your kids would would think about that. They'd just be like, oh my god, what what are these uncivilized, barbarous times that you lived in before the advent of cell phones? It just it um, is, and you didn't know. You didn't have Facebook and Twitter and all those things to be able to be like, oh, he's out with some other girl, or he's out with his friends, or he's this. You don't know. He right. dropped her off, and that's it. And that, and, and that, and yeah, a significant chunk of the movie happens without them interacting. After 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 that, you go, oh my, good lord, this is not mm-hmm. your typical, not your typical. Uh, Hollywood movie with your not typical Hollywood supporting cast because I know you want to talk about them. Uh, obviously, who do you want to talk about? Ange first. I have to. Okay, I have to talk it. about Angie, and yes. then we have to talk about. I don't remember the other guy's name, but we have to talk about him too. Yeah, Angie. What hits home about me is that he sort of looks like a guy that I went that I knew in high school. 
that I was very, very good friends with and was very, very socially awkward. (laughs) And a thousand percent. And it's just, I connect to that. And it it does, it it hits me when I watch the movie. But not a a terrible guy, but kind of socially awkward like he is with the, I don't know, what do you want to do tonight? And his voice and his mannerisms. And I feel watching the movie, I feel like every guy probably is a friend like this. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. We all, we've either been friends with that guy or we have been that guy. Every group, every group has one of them where you just go, you have that one friend who, I don't know why Angie, like you're like, you're friends with Angie. You're you're friends with Angie's because you've been friends with Angie's with Angie for a long time. But other than that, it's like, oh, God, this guy's... And just... you feel like that's with, that's why Marty's friends with them. They probably made their first communion together. <laughs> yep. And their mothers probably know each other and and all that stuff. But the fact that he's, he's, he's always the ideas man. I have an idea. Why don't you call Mary Feeney? She's right. the heavy set girl. And she had the skinny friend. I'll take out the skinny, skinny friend. friend. <laughs> but you have to be the one to make the phone call because Angie's not doing it. No, I like I give I give you the idea. I don't do I don't do the thing. You do, you do the thing. Yes. Oh, and Angie. that's why that phone call is so painful, is because you're like, he didn't even want to call this girl. Oh. He didn't like her. He wasn't interested, but he's doing it for his worm. Oh, right. right and and, and then he spends his whole night all pissed off and he has no social tact when he oh. comes up to them while they're on the date and he's like hey so you want to go out later or what right, right. Lara <laughs> doesn't even say hello to her he just says and so marty's of course he's mortified and he's just like well i'm out with her and he's like well yeah you're not going to be out with her for that long are you i'm heading out over here <laughs> And you just feel like, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) A character like Angie reminds me why I'm like really happy to be married. (laughs) Like I don't want to like spend my nights with guys like Angie, being like, oh, you know the you know the the girls here ain't so good. Like, oh, dude, just just no, just stop, please. I can't I can't deal with you. (laughs) He's the kind of guy who would have to pay a woman. Yes. That's all I have to say because he's such a skis because he's the, when they went out to the Stardust ballroom and he asks like one girl to dance and she's like, not now. And he's like, screw these bitches. <laughs> like, who do they think they are? Oh, uh, male privilege. Woo. Exactly. Uh, entitlement. Sorry. Exactly. That's, that's entitlement right there. Yeah. I, it's Angie. Really I, you know, he, 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 but he does the character so well, much to the point where I think if I ever saw Joe Mantell in something else, I, I'm sure I've, I've seen him. I, I now I'm like, Oh, look, it's Angie, that jerk. You'd expect him to be like that. Like, if you ever met him on the street, it's just like, you're that skeezy friend. Yeah, he, he just has a face. You're just like, oh, I just want, like, just, just a little little punch. Not a big, just, just, oh, okay. You know what he would be in now? Have you heard of that um, men going their own way movement? Oh, yeah, he would totally, he'd be, he he'd be in the MRA, he'd be an MRA, he'd be an MRA. He'd, he'd totally be would. in his mother's basement trolling the internet. Writing manifestos. Yeah, writing manifestos about like, man, you know, I don't need women. Damn, and dames, I'm right? so, I have such greatness and women are just going to hold me back. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's yeah. Angie. They lift, they lift you up, sir. They lift you up. But, um, yeah. 
I'm I'm fascinated by him. Every time he's on screen, I'm like, oh, great, Angie's back. Yeah, I was like, oh, Angie's here. He's gonna ruin the mood. Oh, yep, and he did, of course. Yeah, and, he and, did. And, and but you know, he's I think he's almost the closest thing to a foil. Him and the uh, and the other friend. Oh, uh, yeah, the one which, in the car. Who's yeah, like, yeah, the hey. one in the car is like, hey, ditcher, like, dude, no. <laughs> also, we're in the middle of the Bronx. It's fine. It's just, but. He's, uh, they were he's, oh yeah, yeah. The money's in the bank. Hey, what's yeah. up? He reminds me of Stevens. That guy reminded me of Stifler from American Pie. <laughs> oh, that God. was my note. He reminds me of Stifler. Well, now, well, now, now we need Sean William Scott in the, in the sequel, at least as a bit part, or the the, the, the remake, the remake. Be. That's totally who would be. All right, we are we okay. Yeah, we are we are we are chatting a bit. So I do have I do have a question. Um, yes. It ends with. Marty calling Claire, saying hi. I assume there's a sorry in there. I forget. What do you think happens to them? Do they get together? I think they do. Because I know women. <laughs> oh, do tell. This is see, now, folks. This is exactly why I brought her on here. For the I know women. First of all, if the movie takes place in a very short, it what 24 hours less than 24 yeah, hours 24 ish like a day hours yeah so he said that he would call her after mass yeah 2 30 2 30 because then she had to go to mass 2 30 and so yeah. by the time he actually calls her it's seven yeah it's late latest eight seven eight thereabouts yeah seven or eight so it's too late to go to the movies but it's still that next day and technically, he's the kind of guy who would be totally honest and be like, you know, all these things happened. But he could also have a legitimate excuse and say, my aunt moved in, we got all caught up, all this other stuff, I'm sorry I didn't call you sooner. It's not like now where he could have easily just texted her and been like, hey, I'm moving my aunt, I can't meet you. This is, you know, not right. everyone has a phone at the hip. So he kind of had a legit excuse for not calling her if he wanted to kind of lie. <laughs> Well, no, he'd just be, be he would be saying true things and letting her do the heavy lifting as to what that implies. Exactly. But he could have just been like, hey, my aunt moved in. I didn't get a chance to call you. It's not like nowadays where, what do you mean? You have a cell phone in your pocket. You could have just texted me. Exactly. But he's still calling her that day. And I think she hasn't lost that connection. I don't think the hurt is that deep that she wouldn't even listen to his phone call. Right. She just doesn't seem like that kind of person. I agree. Um, the, the romantic in me wants them to get because wants them to get together because I want to see Marty. Like this is not, not, not the end goal, but this is a step along the way in his journey. I think they get together. I think he does. I think, you know what? I think they do get married. She got the place in Brooklyn. She, you know, she does a job there. They move to Brooklyn. He doesn't buy this shop, but he eventually buys another butcher shop. Interesting. In Cause I was going to ask guessing. you that. Do you think he buys the butcher shop? No, I, you know, I, I think, I think they are, he, he is, they are honest enough with each other that they can get through that. They, you know, he's like, you know what? I'm going to move out. I'm going to move out. I'm going to move out of your house, Ma, because I, that's what I need to do. And I'm going to go, yes. I'm marrying this girl. I don't care if my friends think they're, think she's a dog. And we are going to start our life together, and it's going to be great. She's going to be a teacher. I want to run the butcher shop. 
Boom. He might even own a supermarket. I see he him going bigger. Yeah, he might in in, in maybe in in Brooklyn. Hell yeah. Oops. And leave those two bitter old Italian women by themselves. Hail visit on Sunday, without a doubt, yes. because it's yes. very important to make Sunday Sunday dinner. They'll go to mass. They'll 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 go to mass absolutely. But yeah, I I, I have to believe that at the end of the day, Chayefsky is actually he kind of believes in in people. Yes. And he wants them. He wants them to get together. Uh, so, yeah, yes. I think I think I think it, you know if there were to go on for five more minutes, it would be there would be a happily ever after. But I like that it ends where it does because yes. getting Clara to fall in love or to go with him is not the point. Getting himself no. to love himself, to appreciate who he is and what he has to offer, and to not be held down by his friends or family, or society's expectations. That is really the point of Marty. I totally agree. And I think that's why it works. If it had been a week later that he called her, he might have lost her. Yeah. It's the yeah. next day, and he's he's calling with an eagerness, not a, hey. Yeah, hey yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. It's not easy. <laughs> like, like I, wonder, I wonder if the three-day rule was in effect back then. I don't know. I don't but, even know. We'll have to... Boomers, can you write in and tell us, please? <laughs> Anyone alive back in the 50s and 60s? So, uh, we approach the end. Amy Thomason, did Marty deserve Best Picture? Absolutely. Okay. Because you, you were telling me you were a little... Three out of five of those films. Absolutely. Okay, because you, you, you said you were a little on the fence. You were like, I don't, I don't know about this. Now that I've talked about it more, I'm definitely clear. There were some other great movies out that year. Yes, but I won't go into detail why those shouldn't have won. A lot of those were because they have iconic pictures and things like that. But this movie, it's just, it's so human. It's so human. Mm -hmm. And it's great. Um, I, I, would, I would have to agree. Because, you know, I was, I was on the fence about this one as well. And talking about this with you made me appreciate it more. It is, uh, for the time, a very outside-the-box Best Picture winner. Uh, I mentioned that it had European sensibilities. It was done yep. on a very limited budget. It was about characters. It wasn't about spectacle. You, know, you had a lot. Of, you had a lot mm -hmm. of spectacle films back then, or like songs, especially and in the fifties, definitely. Yeah, especially in the, big time in the fifties. But this is, it's this is like the, it's uh, it's a simple film, told very well, and some mm -hmm. and that, with great characters, and that is a lot of the time all you need. Has it? Like held up in the test of times that you know in the way that East of Eden or Rebel Without Cause have because you know again you say those are very iconic movies no mm -hmm. I, not many people have seen Marty and that's a shame because it is a very good movie and talking this over with you I realize you know it helped click you know things clicked mm -hmm. into 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 place about how effective it is uh, at doing what it set out to do and really at the end of the day we have to judge a movie on its ex its execution over its intent and marty gets it right almost entirely which not many not many movies can do is it a movie that is about like earth-shattering things like mm. you know you, like you, modern like this this movie would not win in modern times it might be nominated no. but yes. it's, it's also not like it's not really a about something bigger than itself. It's about this one dude break, breaking free. It's not. It's mm -hmm. not like a moonlight where that's like, oh, this is 
is about something bigger than than it's than not Chiron. on an epic scale no no nor nor is it at all you cannot there's nothing about this is it epic doesn't at all. try for that no but it, what it tries for it succeeds at and uh we have to acknowledge movies that do that because they often don't they movies do not often succeed at what the, what they're trying and marty absolutely absolutely does so i was i watched this and went huh but now talking about it with you over this past hour, I have been, uh, I think I've come, come around and say, yes, you know what? Marty did deserve Best Picture. I really enjoyed this movie. Ernest Borgnine's great. Betsy Blair's great. Mm-hmm. The characters are very relatable no matter what time you see this in. Whether you watch this in the 80s, you'd get it. If you watch this now, you get it. Even back then, you'd go, yes, I am Marty or I know someone I like Angie. I think when you watch it, I think you forget that it's in the 50s. And I don't think there's a lot of movies that are like that. I think if you watch A Rebel Without a Cause, as iconic as it is, it is so from the 50s. It's so from the 50s. Yeah. And and we talk a lot about universality and uh, timelessness on this movie. And Marty... But this, it's, it's, it's everyone. We've all been Marty. We've all been, unfortunately, probably been Angie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of people have probably been Clara and you know, we've all been all... Clara. Who hasn't waited for a phone call from someone that, oh hey, I think I made a connection with that person. Why right. am I not hearing from them? I right. thought I had that connection there. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I misread them. I remember those days. We've all <sighs> been there. Yep. Glad I'm married now. Glad it's I It's sad. Am. I think more people really need to see this movie. I don't think it gets enough credit. And I think maybe part of it is it's not hot young James Dean brimming with passion it's Ernest Borgnine and Betsy Blair yeah that's not the that's not a power couple right there but you're not gonna yeah it's not gonna draw in the uh, audience it's not Cary Grant you know but I think that's why it's such a great movie though and I I think that's why it it hit because looking at these other movies that were nominated they're romances and dramas and they're all the they're all the every they're the movies that they make Year in, year out, they just—they're pumping these things out in the studio system. All—it's all code. It's all Hollywood mm-hmm. code. And then along comes Marty, and it wins because it's different. It wins because, yeah, it's nothing they've ever seen before, but it is absolutely something they've lived before. And yes. I can relate to the 1955 uh, Academy members who go like, "Yeah, I get that. I have—I've been Marty <laughs> at, at least one point in my one point yep. in my life." Does it would it would it win now? No, but back then, yes, I think I think it absolutely did. <coughs> and so, Amy, we are at the end of our little show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. This was wonderful. This hey, was a lot of fun. It wasn't so bad, was it? No, I did, and I didn't think it was going to be. Ah, uh, well, you quite a natural. We appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, is there any way online people can read about your life and works, your thoughts on movies, or is here the only place? I think here's the only place so far. Ooh, we have exclusive rights. If people rights. interest, I would love to, I'd love to start a blog or something, but I've always been held back by who would even bother reading my thoughts on movies. Hey, you never know. Well, you know what? You can always come back to the podcast. We'll have you on. Just name Thanks. a movie. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But... Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to the Oscar Watch Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and bearing with us. You can write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com and be sure to find us on all the social media at Oscar Watch Pod. And find us on iTunes. Give a review. Really helps. Five stars is nice, but hey, we'll take whatever. <laughs> helps people find out 
what we are doing. Uh, Matt is still off next week. So let's see. But we're just going to see what's coming up. Uh, let's see here. 14. Oh, what is that? That is, oh, we are doing the 1941 Best Picture winner. How Green Was My Valley. I lived on Green Valley Road, so I am definitely <laughs> curious to check this one out. And thank you once again, Amy Thompson, for joining thank us. You. We appreciate that so much for taking the time out of your busy life to yes. discuss Marty of all things with us. And until next time, we'll see you on the next card. What happened? What happened? Hey Marty! Hey Marty! Hey Marty! What happened with you? Saturday we had a party, a party, Frankie and Lou, everybody but you. Where was your Thursday? Hey Marty, hey Marty, hey Marty, for our bowling game. It seems like a year since we chuckled up the beer. Hey Marty, you must have a day, but day. Hey Marty, you must have a day.